Welcome to the Brutal, Bizarre, and Boozy podcast. I'm Declan, the son. And I'm Jane, the mom. Enjoy a drink with us while we tell you some wild stories of the brutal and bizarre variety. Please keep in mind some of our stories might be upsetting to young or sensitive ears. This is the podcast where we talk about brutal crimes, bizarre occurrences, and get you drunk with cocktails themed around one of our stories. To lighten things up, we like to end our time with a chaser. Alrighty, Mom, what story do you have for us today after that Lulu distraction? Yes. Hi, Lulu, my little grand kitty. I have the story about Ryan Jenkins, who murdered his wife. Mm, I also have a Ryan story. You do? Yes. I'm ah. talking about the unusual experiences that Ryan Greaves experienced. Oh, okay. I realized I used experience twice in the same sentence, but I'm going to roll with it. Okay. <laughs> Before you tell me about your drink, I want to do a quick shout out to another podcast. That is the podcast Figures in the Dark. It's hosted by roommates Tori and Taylor Shea. They cover true crime cases and paranormal stories. So similar to us, which is always fun. You can tell that they're really good friends and they have a lot of fun doing their recordings. They enjoy telling each other their stories and then they compare opinions. Lulu, you're being distracting. Sorry. That's a bad producer. I know. She's had a little too much energy today. Oh, she needs you to play with her. I know. Anyway, uh, go go check out the Figures in the Dark podcast. You will have fun. It's a really good show. So check it out. So Sweet. tell me tell me this drink that we're drinking. I'm a little nervous about it. Why are you nervous? It sounds good. <laughs> because it's gin and it's got the syrup in there that... I can't figure out how to pronounce because two different sources say it's pronounced differently and it's <laughs> almond flavor and yeah, I don't know. I'm scared. So we're drinking the Army and Navy. That's what the cocktail is called. Okay. And you'll see why this connects uh, here shortly. Okay. So this drink is, or at least the recipe that I found, I've, there's a couple different famous recipes so this one calls for one part lemon juice, one part orjo, which is how I pronounce it. How do you pronounce it? Well, I looked it up and it was in the U.S. It said it's pronounced orjat. And then in French, it's pronounced orja. Okay. So it's like foyer and foyer. Like they're both right, yeah. but we pronounce yeah, it I differently guess. here. <laughs> we yeah, say foyer. I think so. <laughs> Right. Foyer and Orjo or Orja. Orja or Orja. Oh, whatever. It's almond so, flavored. That's all I know. And that's what yes. scares me. It's an almond flavored syrup. It's similar to simple syrup, but it's flavored. It's got some special stuff in it. I don't exactly know what's in it, but it's almond okay. flavored. So it's, so it's, this drink is one part lemon juice, one part Orjo and two parts gin. 
This cocktail first appears in David A. Edinburgh's 1948, The Fine Art of Mixing Drinks. So establishing a made-before date is, uh, it's a little less known, but upon its name, folks suggest it originated at the Army and Navy Club in Washington, D.C., The club's lounge is also said to be where the famous daiquiri cocktail was introduced in the United States. Oh, I like a daiquiri. Yeah, so this place has made some very famous cocktails. Sounds like it. Are you ready to try it? I'm excited. Yes. Okay, (laughs) you're excited. I'm scared. Here we go. Mm. That's good. I am pleasantly surprised. It's that like little hint of nutty like sweetness. It's kind of like a lemon tart almost or something. I taste more lemon than I don't taste any almond at all. Which Oh, I don't have a measuring. Well, it's just parts, so I don't know. I Yeah. What kind did you get? What kind of did you buy yours? The the Orjat? Yeah. Or Yes, I bought it at the store because I tried to look up how to make it. And one recipe I found was extremely complicated. And I was like, I'm not making that. I'm just going to go buy it. So yeah, I bought I it. I like two stores to find this weird bottle that was like super tiny. And I was like, I this is the only mm. one I could find without having to make it. And it's going to cost me 20 or $30 to make it. So I'll just buy it for right. five from the weird store. So. Yeah, well, it's pretty good. If you ever if you decide that you want more of the syrup, we have like a giant two liter jug of it because that's all our store has. <laughs> okay. I'll take that. So I, we got plenty. There's a lot of drinks I like that have Orjo in it. Okay. Well, I'd be willing to drink it again and go find other things to drink with it. I expected it to be like super fake almondy flavor, like uh like marzipan. I hate marzipan. It's gross. But yeah, it's good. I think the orgeau would be good in like a rum chata cocktail. Something mm. with rum chata in it. Maybe. I think. But ah, that's already pretty sweet. Maybe something a little. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. Let's get into this story. Okay. <laughs> enough, Tell me. Enough Tell side me about chat. Ryan's, Ryan's stuff. So Ryan Greaves is a former pilot for the U.S. Navy, hence the Army and Navy cocktail. The drink. Okay. Yes. So he has a degree in mechanical engineering. For about a decade, Ryan flew F-18s in live combat and training situations in which him and other naval pilots would simulate dogfights to prepare for battle if need arose. So he's a badass and he's smart. Yeah, he's a super smart guy okay. who flies super crazy jets cool. for the Navy. Awesome. So for part of Greaves' time flying with the Navy, he used a radar system called the APG-73. This radar system was used from 1999 to 2006. 
during 2006, the Navy entered a maintenance phase where they upgraded a lot of the components of their fighter jets. The APG-79 was adapted as the main radar system at that time, which was way more efficient than its predecessor. Ryan was piloting in a restricted military airspace off the East Coast, and he went out for a regular training flight with uh, some other jets from his crew. When the pilots reached altitude, they looked into their instruments, and they, as they usually do, that's when they noticed multiple blips on their brand new radar. I'm not quite sure how radars work, so I'm just going off of like movie context, like a little circle, and then there's something near you. It's just a Comes dot around. on the radar. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's what I think they mean by this, but I, I've never really I seen a assume. radar before, so I don't mm, know. Neither have I. <laughs> the object picked up on their radar were moving in an unusual way. They weren't flying in a smooth line like a jet would. The objects maintained a consistent path, but sort of stumbled and meandered in a way that seemed to defy all laws of gravity. Oh, so, um, so if they were coming in, they're like a jet flies in a fairly straight line. Yeah. Right. Like it's not, jumping around and stuff this thing was like mm-hmm. it was flying in a general direction like it had a purpose of where it was flying but it wasn't in a straight line it was kind of bobbing up and down and like rotating and like oh. moving in weird ways that jets just can't so it couldn't have been like a bird or anything no i don't think their radar picks up birds but i'm not i don't know oh. Because I think it has oh. to be like big enough or maybe some kind of electrical stuff. I don't know. I'm not smart enough to understand that kind of stuff. <laughs> you are smart enough. You just <laughs> haven't researched it. It's okay. <laughs> they communicated over the radio and decided to proceed with their training since they didn't appear to pose a threat. They couldn't identify what the objects were, but they it didn't seem like they were going to harm them in any way. So they mm-hmm. they just kept an eye on them and continued with their training. Okay. But this wouldn't be the last time Ryan and his fellow pilots would encounter these unknown objects. The pilots would observe these objects behaving very strangely, whether they were traveling faster than current technology allowed or standing completely still in winds upwards of 150 miles an hour. What? Yes. So they're going faster than we could go and also standing completely still in 150 mile an hour winds, which Ryan claims we don't have anything that can consume the amount of energy to do that. So because he said it was standing completely still. And if you're in a helicopter, it'd be like you could probably stand fairly still and like hover, but. You, you'd be like moving around slightly, but this thing was right. just right there. Completely still not. Oh. Yeah. At this point in time, oh. neither Ryan or the other pilots had physically seen these objects, but their radar had picked up hundreds of them. Yeah. So, so how close were they? How close were these objects to Ryan's aircraft? 
So like initi- within eyesight? No, no. So Oh, okay. Their radar picked them up like fairly not like close, but they could pick them up. So they were aware of them, okay. but they weren't really going close to them at this point. Okay. So uh one of the other pilots found one on his radar and decided to fly up close to it. I would. Because no one had seen one yet. Yeah. Yeah, I would. Because uh, I'm nosy. The pilot used his FLIR camera to look in the direction of the radar ping. And the FLIR is uh, an infrared camera. Okay. FLIR cameras show hotter objects as darker black and cooler objects as a lighter gray or white. The objects okay. were black almond-shaped figure, meaning that they are emitting a large amount of heat. Because it was oh. just a completely black, like object on their uh, infrared radar. Weird. As the pilots watched this object soaring through the air, it was rotating like a gimbal, which is like one of those things that holds cameras steady. So you can like move it around and the camera will stay. So it was like oh. moving in a straight path. Like a gyroscope? Rotating. Yeah, like a gyroscope. So mm. it was flying straight and I recommend and everyone the watching time? the video of it. If you look up gimbal UFO video, it's pretty crazy. It Yeah, so it's very hot. It's like a black circle. And then it, it's got like two little ends pointing out and the ends are rotating it like freezes and then it like rotates again while moving in a constant path going extremely fast. Okay. We'll put a clip in the show notes. Yes. The crew were experiencing these objects every single day. Multiple objects would appear on their radar and observe them. Mm. Every day they went out for training, they were up there and they seemed to be up there before they went out and long before they came in. So upwards of 15 hours a day, which wow. we can't do. Ryan said that most right, times they fuel. go out, if they're in a dogfight, they can only fly for about an hour before they need to refuel. Oh. So yeah. you said that one of the pilots veered off to try and see it. Mm-hmm. Did he actually see it? He didn't see it with his eyes. He saw it through the FLIR. Oh, oh okay. Okay. Yeah. And that was the gimbal-y moving gyroscopy thing. Okay. Yes. Uh, one day, two pilots for Greaves Squadron went out for a flight. And as they were leaving the base, one of the objects flew directly in between the two aircrafts. And this oh. was the first sighting that they caught with their eyes. Oh. The pilots report seeing the object with their eyes, and they say the object was a black or dark gray cube that was surrounded by a transparent sphere. Ooh. I, it's hard to visualize what that looks like, but I think I have an idea. I'm picturing yeah. like a black Lego inside of a bubble. Yeah. Basically, yeah. That's a good description. Over the next that couple of years, wild. the pilots... Yeah, that that was the first sighting that they had seen. And the when planes fly together, they kind of fly similarly to how like a pattern of geese would fly. Mm-hmm. So one person is in front and they're watching for everything in front of them. And the second person is focusing just on the first 
uh the first okay. jet okay and so the first pilot didn't see the object but the second one did since it flew directly between them he got mm. a direct sight of it Ooh. yeah wow so Okay. Over the next couple of years, the pilots became very familiar with these objects, and the interactions continued to get stranger. Multiple pilots report the objects jamming their radar, and they reported the objects being around 15 feet in diameter. Ryan Greaves And not was aerodynamic on... either, right? No. I mean, a, it's a, a sphere. sphere. inside of a bubble. Yeah, it's so weird. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Sorry. Ryan Greaves was focused on pilot safety, so when the object started to endanger his pilots, he started to bring this info to his higher-ups. After receiving news of what Ryan and the other pilots witnessed, Ryan was called to speak with the Senate of the Armed Service Committee and the Senate Select Committee of Intelligence to explain his experiences. Oh, by the way, I'd just like to say I'm proud I didn't stumble on that. It was very tough. <laughs> Shortly after Grease meeting with the Senate, and, uh, I just fucking jinxed it. You did. You jinxed yourself. Shortly after Grease meeting with the Senate, a program was developed to allow pilots to report these unusual phenomena and to speak with someone about it. There have been plenty of UFO or UAP sightings ever since. However, those are stories for another podcast. Wow. Yeah, so that's that's what Ryan Rees and the other pilots experienced. Oh, we were seeing them gosh. every single day. For how long? For years. Yes. Ever since they upgraded back in like the 2000s. Around 2010-ish, I think, is when they fully got all the Changed stuff. all the radar. Yeah. and stuff don't quote me on the oh dates, that's but yeah that's freaky to think that yeah and he talked about there, this I whole mean... experience on joe rogan so if you would like to hear a three-hour explanation of it i would recommend go listening to him because it's yeah, a very interesting sure. podcast i just kind of summed up all the the important parts the trim details. the fat off oh yeah, yeah. gosh that would be so wild to be, you just think you're up there doing your thing, minding your own business, training, and then this thing goes flying by and you're like, what the hell was that? It doesn't look like anything else we've ever seen. And especially like the first, like right after they upgraded, it was probably so freaky. You get up there and you see five unknown objects flying right next to you on the radar. Right. And you can't see them and it's like what the f what what's going on <laughs> yeah seems wow super weird. oh that's creepy and freaky and weird freaky. and yeah. terrifying and Whew. but i they never hurt anybody they never like crashed into any of the jets so they seem to be yeah not hostile at least which is a good thing. Yeah. It's so like, I feel like I just, I want to know what they are so badly. What are they? So they've recently actually uh, started a program to study what these are. So hopefully we'll find out soon. That's good. Do you yeah. think they'll tell us? 
Or do you think mm, it'll be like, no, we don't Five know. or ten years after they find out. Oh, <laughs> they figure I out say how to longer. Break it to us. I'm saying like at least a decade or more. You know, well, like okay, so a the, good 20 years later. Well, the gimbal video, that was taken in 2014, I believe. So okay, that was a little less than 10 years ago. Yeah. So maybe. Okay. And that's they, been around for a little while. So maybe. Yeah, that was, that came out like 2020, right? But that Trying. was just the video. That was the video of like, COVID. yeah, exactly. <laughs> they were like, oh, yes. think of this other thing. Ooh, shiny over here. Woohoo, look over this. Yeah. It's like throwing sand in someone's eyes in the middle of a fight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, here, look I at just, this. I, I honestly think that, um, I, well, I question whether or not they'll tell us the truth. About, I know government doesn't tell us the friggin' truth about anything so i i no. think that if they do find out they'll downplay it dramatically well, because give us the people bare will freak evidence. the fuck out yeah they'll be yeah. like they'll just go ah, we figured it out what they are and it's fine and that's it yeah. they won't tell us anything other it's fine really it's fine they just blow shit out of proportion that's not important you know, whatever. True. Well, all right. Would you like to hear tell my me. Ryan story? Yes, tell me your Ryan story. Your brutal okay. Ryan. My. My Ryan's story is not, he's not a nice guy. He's not a great guy. No. So okay. I will start. Many people know about using fingerprints and dental records as a means of identification. If you are familiar with true crime stories, you probably also know that surgically implanted appliances can be another method of identification. Well, for one victim, it was Appli a key factor Wait. Appliance, appliance just you know Jewelry? like like earrings is that what things? you're talking about no i'm talking about like like if you have a knee crowns on your teeth if you have a knee replacement then there's oh, serial like numbers knee. attached okay. to that yeah if you get something okay. implanted into your body there's gonna be a way to track it okay i didn't know they were called a Appliances. That's a good way to call well, them. <laughs> it seems yeah. a little less morbid or yeah. gross, I should say. It's kind of an appliance. This in this story, it's it's not really an appliance, but <laughs> you'll find out. Okay. Uh, one murder victim. Uh, the implanted device. We'll call it a device. It's not really a device either. <laughs> the implanted item was a key factor in identifying her remains and also very likely identifying who her killer was. This is the story of Jasmine Fiore and Ryan Jenkins. Jasmine Fiore was born Jasmine Lepore in 1981. She was raised by her mother, Lisa, in Bonnie Dune, California. 
Jasmine changed her last name from Lepore to Fiore because she believed it sounded more like a star's name and she had aspirations of being a star. Jasmine was naturally pretty but changed her appearance on occasion. She changed her hair color several times and also got breast augmentation. Her beauty helped her become a swimsuit model and an actress. Her mother described her as feisty. Jasmine moved to Las Vegas for a while for work, and that is where she met Ryan Jenkins. Ryan Jenkins was was born in 1977 in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. He was a real estate agent and investor around 2001, and he continued in this career until the recession occurred in about 2009. In 2007, Jenkins was convicted of assault for his girlfriend at the time. He was sentenced to 15 months probation. He was also ordered to attend domestic violence counseling and therapy for sex addiction. Soon after the real estate market became volatile, Jenkins was cast in a reality TV show for VH1 called Megan Wants a Millionaire. Mm. So he headed off to California to film the show. He was described by the show as an investment banker with a net worth over $2 million, which I don't, I don't know why they described him as a banker because... He's a real estate an, agent. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, maybe after the market crashed, he like went into the maybe bank. I don't know. And just said he but, was an investor. Well, it very well could be. And VH1 apparently made a statement about the show. Like, it's kind of fun to figure out if these people are telling the truth, basically. The people on the show, meaning. So it okay. very well could be that he... He certainly kept other things from the producers of the show. Anyway, yeah. Uh, So Jasmine and Jenkins met in March 2009 in Las Vegas, and two days later they were married, which in that's unusual to get married that fast. That's that's very quick. (laughs) Yes. After they were married, Jasmine and Jenkins moved to Los Angeles. She earned her real estate license and was planning to open a gym. Not all of Jasmine's friends knew that the couple had been married, but many had noticed the relationship was rocky. A few times the couple went back to Canada, where Jenkins introduced Jasmine to his friends and family. Some of Jenkins' friends were not big fans of Jasmine, describing her as manipulative. And his father would later say that Jasmine would often leave Jenkins for days at a time and then lie about where she went. Jenkins did not feel the need to inform his new wife about his violent past. Remember, he had been convicted of assault and sentenced to probation. He didn't tell her about that. Which... Oh, wow. (sighs) Yeah. Um... He didn't tell her about the previous assault conviction in Canada. A few weeks after the wedding, Jasmine and Jenkins were in Las Vegas, and Jasmine learned firsthand about his temper. The couple argued poolside at a hotel, and he hit her in the arm, which caused her to fall into the swimming pool. He was later charged with domestic violence and was set to go to trial for those charges in December of that year. However, as many domestic violence cases go, 
the couple reconciled. And in August 2009, the couple were in San Diego for a poker tournament. So they they traveled back and forth between L.A. and Vegas uh, quite a bit, apparently, but they actually lived in Los Angeles. And they went to San Diego for this poker tournament, which is a couple hours south of Vegas or of Los Angeles. Okay. In San Diego... Well- yeah. Sounds like a real nice guy. <laughs> no, oh, it's going to get better. Going to get oh, better. Great. It can only get better. This is the brutal story, right? <laughs> True. It's, it's not going to end well. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they checked into a luxury hotel and went to their tournament. In the morning of August, the early morning of August 14th, 2009, the couple were seen leaving the tournament location together and then. Uh, not too long after that, they were spotted at a club, um, in that vicinity in downtown San Diego. About two hours later, Jenkins was seen entering their hotel alone and he checked out at about 9 AM. The next evening, August 15th, Jenkins reported Jasmine missing. He reported that... They had gone home to Los Angeles on August 14th. So the dates, like, they stack up pretty quick. It's a short amount of time. So I'm going to give you all the dates. He reported that they had gone home to Los Angeles on August 14th and that Jasmine left him there at about 830 at night. She went to run some errands. So that was his story. This was so confusing. On August 15th at night, he reported to the police that Jasmine was missing. He said that they had gotten home the day before. Jasmine left the home on the 14th and never came home. So uh, on what he didn't necessarily know was that earlier in the day on August 15th, her a body had been discovered so unfortunately someone so, found go the ahead next day after she he had claimed she left so on his story august 15th he said jasmine dropped me off yesterday okay and he waited about 24 hours to report her missing Earlier the day that he reported her missing, a body was found. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So, a body was found in Buena Park, California, which is about two hours north of San Diego and about a half hour southeast of L.A. So, confusing in the time, but... Also, there's distances involved. So in L.A. on the 15th, he said, my wife dropped me off yesterday and I haven't seen her since. And about 12 hours before he made that report, somebody found a body a half an hour away from where he made the report. Okay. The body was severely abused. It was naked. It was a female body shoved inside of a suitcase. 
Yes. The body showed signs of strangulation. The teeth had been removed and the fingers were missing. Tried real hard to hide her. Yes. Police obviously believe these measures were taken to prevent the identification of the body. That may have worked, except for the fact that the victim had had breast augmentation. So she had a boob job done. Mm. Yes. It took three days, but authorities were able to use the serial numbers on the implants to identify her as Jasmine Fiore. Police also found her vehicle abandoned about a mile away from her home. Remember, her body was not found in the same town as she lived and not found in the same town as where she was last seen alive. So in the vehicle, there were signs of a struggle with hair and blood found inside. The day after reporting Jasmine missing on August 16th, Jenkins packed some bags and left his home. He went to Nevada and picked up his speedboat because that's what you do when your wife is missing. You go get your speedboat, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I would do for sure. I mean, (laughs) you never know when you're going to need your boat. Okay? Gosh. Yeah. (sighs) The next day, August 17th, Jenkins um, had been contacted by the police, and he told them that he was in Utah but headed to Canada for some immigration problems because he's a Canadian citizen, so he said he had to go back to Canada. At the time, uh, the body that had been found in Buena Park still had not been identified, so Jasmine was still listed as a missing person. That was when he had last spoken with police. Her body was identified the next day on August 18th. Okay. The, The day after that, Jenkins had made it to Washington State, which was August 19th. He caused he called his father, who advised him about Jasmine's death, because it had hit the news, I guess. Jenkins was, of course, considered a person of interest in the case, but had not been charged at that time. However, border authorities had been alerted to keep an eye out for him. Because they figured, well, he said he's going to Canada, so and he's a Canadian citizen, so let's make sure that Canada knows, you know, to look out for him. Mm-hmm. His vehicle was spotted at the Washington at a Washington marina with an empty boat trailer. It is believed he was able to cross into Canada sometime on August 19th or the 20th, possibly by foot. On August 20th, Jenkins was officially charged with Jasmine's murder and an arrest warrant was issued. Later that day, he was seen checking into a hotel in Hope, British Columbia, Canada, with a woman who was later identified as his half-sister. She paid in cash for a three-night stay and left the hotel about 20 minutes later. The hotel manager had seen Jenkins walking around the hotel for a few days, like walking around outside and things like that, but had stated that his appearance was so poor, he was unrecognizable to the picture that had been blasted all over TV, stating that he looked like he'd lost weight and he was exhausted, and so he didn't recognize him and couldn't so he didn't report him being there. When no one checked out on August 23rd, the manager went to the room to check on the guests. 
He entered the room to find Jenkins hanging from a clothing rack by a belt wrapped around his neck. Jenkins had written a will on his computer dated the day he checked in. It left his belongings to his family, but there was no suicide note. Police believe that Jenkins was the sole perpetrator of Jasmine's death. Damn. And that is the story of Ryan Jenkins. That's pretty so. fucked up. Yeah. But good thing she got those breast implants. Or else right. She probably I mean, would have never been identified. I mean, now with, you know, all the DNA stuff, they probably could have figured it out. But, you know, back then, without those, without the serial numbers from the implants, they, that's what made it possible at that time to identify her. So. Yeah. That's a crazy story. Yeah. Caught by a boob job. Yep, and hung himself in a hotel. That's Yeah. Gruesome. Seems like a Gruesome. really fucking sad way to go out. Right. <laughs> I'd rather get shanked yeah. in jail or something. <laughs> Ugh, just you just traumatize some <laughs> just traumatize some poor housekeeper oh, who just the, came in the to manager. change the sheets. No, the manager, the poor manager of the hotel. He was just checking. He wanted to get them to pay for another night, maybe. I don't know. <sighs> oh jeez. Can't even imagine. That's rough. Yeah. Super rough. Ugh. Well, do you have a chaser for us, and we'll see if we uh, if we double up on our on our chaser again, like we did last episode? Yeah, I'm going first this time. <laughs> okay, you go first. All right. So, my chaser today is an article I saw posted on Instagram by oh, shit. It's a post my, called "Mine's an Article Broken Too." News. <laughs> Probably from no, the same okay. news place. Okay. It's not. So, it's not. Uh, Biden has just announced that he will be releasing all the information about who killed JFK in December. In December. Yeah. He said he's going to release it in December, but uh, apparently he has already had... Uh, he's already had the opportunity to release it, and he missed the deadline. The deadline was in October 2017, uh, and then Trump postponed it. And Biden also postponed it several times, but now he says they will be released in December. Okay. So I will believe we'll it out. when I see it. <laughs> yeah, me too. But... That'd be very interesting to finally get the answer all these years later. It it would be interesting. Very interesting. Because of because of that thing I was debating doing uh JFK this week. But JFK I decided story. not to because it's such a fucking long story. You, it is a so long many story details and it's that you have to cover. 
Right. It's complicated and convoluted. And then do you, you know, do you try and stick to the details that, you know, are publicly known or do you get into the controversial stuff and the conspiracy I, theories? And I think, I mean, that's a rabbit hole decided, for rabbit holes. So I think if we decided to do JFK, we would need to both do it. We'd have one person do the brutal part where oh. they talk about the factual stuff and what happened and then the bizarre talking about conspiracy theories so yeah. you guys would like to hear that i like that yes please let, let us, us know. know yeah because you can reach like us it would be fun oh my gosh Our you can Instagram, reach us whatever Instagram, check, email. check the description i'm sure we've got some right. stuff in there you could reach us on. check the show <laughs> notes all the links to reach us are in the show notes you can definitely find us Yes. So what is your chaser? That would be Okay. My chaser, like I said, is also an article, but it is not about JFK or Biden. And it is not from Roka News. So it's an article I found on Apple News about the booziest cities in America. And I thought it was so fitting for our show. Yeah. And it talks about so how they measured the drunkenness of uh, the city is that they measured it by the percent of the population that either binge drinks or drinks heavily throughout the week, counting four to five drinks in a sitting or 15 or more drinks per week. That was their drunkenness scale okay okay do you i i just want a guess where do you think the what state do you think has the most cities on the top 20 this is just a random guess but i'm gonna say louisiana no it's not Mm. That was a good guess, though. Not even sure if Louisiana made the list. (laughs) No. (laughs) It's Wisconsin. Oh, that makes sense. They make a lot of corn. Corn, I guess. A lot of alcohol is made out of corn, I think. Seven out of ten, seven out of the top ten are from Wisconsin, and 12 out of the top 20 are Wisconsin as well. Damn. Yeah, that's a lot. That's so, crazy. The funny thing is that your city, Corvallis, Oregon, is the 20th on the top 20 list. How? <laughs> Jesus. I know, right? We're, it's I, such I a did small not town. That. What the fuck? I I thought Eugene maybe because it's bigger. Oh and, yeah, it's like a bigger party town. I you know, think, but a, yeah, yeah, a bigger college wow, party crazy. town. I mean, Corvallis is a college town too, but um, yeah, I don't know. Corvallis was ranked twentieth on the top twenty list. Wow. So. Speaking of Corvallis and Eugene, did you see the results of the game last night? Civil War? I did. I did. (laughs) They were ahead. Eugene. Yeah. 
They were getting Oregon was ahead it was like, so long. It was like 30 then, to 10 in the first yeah. like half. And then we turned the game off because it was like, oh, we're getting washed. We don't want to watch this. And then Carter yep. pulled it up on his phone. He's like, oh, my God, we're like, we're close. Yeah. <laughs> and then we put it on. With Carter, they took over. Yeah. Yep. Apparently, yeah. one of the, uh, like, once all the fans rest the field, one of the Oregon, the University of Oregon students punched a fan. Or one of the athletes. One of the players. I yeah. yeah. I saw an article about that. Yeah. <laughs> That's just, I mean, come yeah. on. It's not the fans' fault that you lost. Grow up. <laughs> he was probably yelling some shit, though. I guarantee you, Oregon no. State fans aren't nice. <laughs> well, but neither are U of O fans. I mean, every fans in any oh. stadium are going to talk shit. They're going to be, you know, saying crap. Just be a grown up and let it go. One last chaser tidbit. Oh, another thingy. Chaser. Okay. Uh, University of Oregon got a huge fine this season because the student section was chanting "fuck the Mormons." <laughs> what? Yeah. I can't remember who they were playing against, but it was some Mormon oh, well, college. It was probably I Utah. And it was probably they something got a out huge of Utah. fine because they oh, were yelling "fuck the Mormons." <laughs> wow. That's, yeah. That's not cool. That's wild. That's not cool. Nope. Nope. That sums up a uh, student section at University of Oregon, though, pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Been to a couple games there, and it's not, not the it's best It's like experience. that. <laughs> yeah. Shitty. At least the student section sucks. Yep. Crazy. All righty. I believe that is the end of our podcast this week. Thank you all for listening. Thank you very you much. Love you too, bud. Talk to you later. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening and supporting our podcast. We would love for you to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And if you want to give us a five-star rating, we would forever be grateful. You can contact us at our email via thebrutalandbizarre at gmail.com or on our Instagram at thebrutal underscore bizarre underscore boozy.